All right, my name is Jim Hammond, and I'm excited to bring you the exciting conclusion of the moral of the story. We're in this series. This is week five. There are a lot more stories that Jesus told, but we've picked five, and we're wrapping it up. Maybe we'll come back to a series like this again sometime, pick a different set. But for right now, this is the finish, and boy, it's an exciting finish. We're looking at the moral of the story, a story about deep weeds. Now, I am so excited about what is going on in this church, that God is just moving and helping people and helping people take steps. If you're not aware, our whole mission as a church is to help people from wherever they are take steps toward where God wants them to be. And a lot of times, it's just little nudges, little tiny steps, little oh my, and you don't even know you've taken a step, and it's just little incremental steps. How many of you from wherever you are? All right, you're all here, and I'm glad you're here from wherever you are. I'm from wherever I am, too, and I have steps to take. This last week was kind of an interesting step that I needed to take, and just to kind of give you a little sneak into some of my own life. It's really exciting to be a part of what God is doing, but as a leader, it's frightening. I mean, it's like, where is this going? It's going so big. And so this is what it looks like when you're trying to lead something like that. You wake up at 2.30 in the morning and can't sleep. That happened to me on Tuesday morning. It's like, oh, there's no getting back to sleep now because I'm busy trying to think through the future that I see and how to lead us there and what steps have to be taken. It's like, oh, wow. So I got up to pray, which is important. And in that prayer, really helped me kind of process a little bit. But when my wife got up and we're just processing together, I said a really strange statement to her. And she said, what? And this is what I said. I said, I'm such a small man. She said, what? (laughs) And I said it again. I'm a small man. And she said, what do you mean by that? I'm way in over my head. I'm too small. It's, It's just, and she's, wise woman that she is. She says, but God is really big. (laughs) It's like, yeah, and that is the point. That's the point. But sometimes looking at our own responsibility and what it means to move from where we are to where God wants us to be, it's like, man, it's like we sometimes feel like we're in deep weeds. Maybe that's not an expression you use at your house. We use it. It's like, this is deep weeds. Now, perhaps we use it because In the garden of paradise that God created in the first garden when he put Adam and Eve in a perfect world, there were no weeds. And after the fall of humanity and the fall of the world, one of the curses was that there would be weeds. That by the toil of your brow, work will no longer be easy. You're going to have thorns and thistles and weeds. Ever since then, every garden is filled with weeds. And so as you're trying to work through your life, maybe you find yourself there. Now, we're going to jump into this story first by setting it up with some common questions. They're hard questions. They're theological questions, but you've probably heard them before. Maybe you've asked them before. Here's the first question. Have you ever, at any point in your life, wondered how your life got into such deep weeds? Did you wonder, if God is so loving and God is so powerful, why did he let this happen? I mean, if he loves me and he has all the power to change it, why didn't he just change it? Why did he let me get into such deep weeds? That's a big, hard question. Believe it or not, the story we're jumping into today answers that question. 
Yahoo. And then here's another question. Have you ever wondered if God is so loving and God is so powerful, how the world, the whole world is in such deep weeds? I mean, you look at the news. You read the newspaper. You see what's happening. You think, if God is loving and God is powerful, why is our world like this? You ever ask that question? Right? Deep weeds. The story we're looking at today, Jesus gives us the answer. You know, why did this happen? He gives us the answer. We're going to look at that story in a moment. Here's another question. The question is, have you ever wondered why so many people who say they believe in God are so messed up that it causes people who do not believe in God to think of these hypocrites as one of the main reasons why they don't believe in God? That's a big, long question, isn't it? You run into people, you say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be like those hypocrites. It's like, hey, this story we're looking at answers that question and why God didn't do something about that. That's a pretty wild story that can answer all these questions. Here's the next question. Last one. Have you ever wondered why even the closest of relationships, you fall in love, it's going to be happily ever after, suddenly finds themselves in deep weeds? It's like, okay, even that setting, this story that we're going to get into is going to give us a piece of the answer. And really, the reality is it's a piece of the answer for each one of these difficult questions. Just curious, anybody want to hear the story now? All right, here we go. We're going to jump into the story. It's in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to just begin with the intro before he starts the story. Jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like. Stop the video right there before he continues. If you heard somebody say, I'm about to tell you a story about the kingdom of heaven, and you're imagining what that story might be like, what are you imagining? What do you imagine the story that's going to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like will sound like? What's that story going to be about? Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, a story about the kingdom of heaven? Wow, it's a story about paradise. It's a story about no more tears and no more sorrow. It's a story about wonder, where everything is bliss. Everything is perfect. I want to hear this story. That's what they were thinking it would be like a little bit. But Jesus baffles his audience with this story. So let's continue reading. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. All right, now I get it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. What? The whole audience is completely baffled by this description 
of the kingdom of heaven, when they have been anticipating the kingdom of God to enter into their midst for centuries, and they're getting more and more prophetic detail about what the kingdom of heaven would be like, and they're thinking this guy who's telling the story is the king, the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah, Hebrew, Christ, Greek, the translation of the Hebrew. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed king we've all been waiting for, and he's telling us what the kingdom will be like. And this isn't it. That's not what they're expecting the kingdom to be like. And so they just aren't sure. Jesus continues right into two more stories. And everybody's just baffled by his description. And then he leaves the crowd. And the disciples who are scratching their heads don't know what in the world this description means. Finally have Jesus privately and they ask him, can you explain the one about the weeds to us? It doesn't make any sense. And then we keep reading. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, if you're real familiar with reading the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll read Jesus' self-designation in this controversial world where they're expecting a Christ, expecting a Messiah. He doesn't use the term Messiah to define himself because he'd be crucified too early because it's not quite what they're expecting. So he takes this neutral term, son of man which is ironic because he claims to be the son of God. He's fully God's son and he's fully human too. But he takes this neutral term and fills in this neutral term with who he is until right up until the end. Then he accepts the designation of Christ. They crucify him. This is Jesus. So the one who sowed the good seed is Jesus, the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out the kingdom, out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Just curious, how many of you have ears? All right. This is an interesting way that Jesus often said, if you have ears, hear. Now, it's very possible to have these things and you hear the sounds, but you do not open up to this truth. You are not really listening. You're just digging in your heels. Now, I want to explain to you why that might take place in this first audience because what Jesus describes here is completely different than what his first audience, including his disciples, were expecting the kingdom of heaven to be like, the kingdom that this Messiah was going to usher in. They're expecting something completely different. So we're going to join me now, would you please, for Seminary 101. (laughs) This is a little technical, but we'll go through it really quickly. Here we are with what the Jews expected, but what Jesus actually said. The Jews expected that the kingdom to come, the Jews expected the kingdom to come powerfully as an earthly political kingdom overthrowing all evil regimes. But Jesus said the kingdom would come quietly, And only to those who hear the message and respond, the others wouldn't even know it had come. 
Next, we read that the Jews expected their kingdom to be separate and rule the rest of the world with the Messiah. But Jesus said his subjects will live in the world among the weeds and won't fully rule until later. Here's what the Jews expected, the coming of the Messiah to usher in victory immediately. But Jesus said there would be a delay with mixed results, wheat and weeds, the real and counterfeit, remaining together until the end. What the Jews expected was the kingdom to come quickly and usher in majestic glory, but Jesus said the kingdom begins very small and then grows over time and enters majestic glory at the end of the ages. What the Jews expected was the kingdom to include only the righteous right from the beginning, and what Jesus taught is how subjects of the kingdom will grow in the midst of weeds, and that even in these mixed and confusing conditions, causing mixed and confusing conditions caused by an enemy, they will grow to become identifiable by their fruit. What the Jews expected was the Messiah to immediately judge the ungodly and remove them from his kingdom as soon as he was identified and crowned king. But what Jesus taught is that you cannot immediately tell the real from the counterfeit subjects. And there will be a long period of waiting till the harvest then separation of the good from the bad, and then the judgment. What the Jews expected, and here's a summary statement, is the second coming glory at his first coming. Now, what you need to understand is that for thousands of years, prophets have prophesied about the coming of Jesus, but they didn't explain that the foothills, what they see in the prophetic vision, and the mountain peaks, what they see in the prophetic vision, as they're describing in the same paragraph, have a delay and a separation between them. It's just one panoramic picture they describe coming in the future, so the Jews expected it all at once. And so this was the mystery. No, the first coming is in humility. The second coming is in glory. There is a delay from the first coming to the second coming, and none of this was expected by the Jews. And so even the disciples are very confused. But Jesus taught that his kingdom functions with humility in a revolution of love and hidden spiritual power while continuing to face opposition until his glorious return at the end of this age. So this is all new information, a huge story that tells us about what his kingdom will be like as he introduces his kingdom right then and there because the king has come. But it's nothing like they thought it would be like. Point number one. We will struggle with weeds. This is what Jesus is saying. They were expecting all weeds are gone, and Jesus is saying, no, it's not like that yet. There's going to be weeds, lots of weeds. Now, here's why this is really important for us to consider. Throughout the centuries, (laughs) since Jesus has come, churches are still not really getting what Jesus is saying. Here's the temptation. The temptation for every church leader is to take a look at the mixed condition of the world, the mixed condition of the kingdom where God is beginning to reign and rule, and church leaders want to rip out what is wrong and doesn't fit in his kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that. If you're busy ripping out what doesn't belong in the kingdom, you're going to damage the harvest. Stop. And yet, every one of us are built in such a way where we like our gardens to look like neat, tidy rows. 
We like our gardens to be set aside and pure, nice areas of flowers here, nice areas of fruit here, nice areas. And we like to pull out everything that doesn't fit in those nice areas. And Jesus says, when I establish my kingdom, it's not going to look so neat and tidy. It'll be filled with weeds. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. This is what it'll be like. Hey, look around you. Don't identify the weed next to you. Look around you. <clears throat> Isn't that what it's like? Everything's not neat and tidy. The whole world is not neat and tidy. It's got a mess out there. And Jesus says, expect it to remain messy until the end. You can't fix it. First of all, you don't have the equipment to be able to discern what is going on inside of people's lives. You can't see into their hearts. Now, to understand what's going on, Jesus gave a one-phrase answer. Why is it like this? What has happened? Point number two, an enemy has done this. An enemy did this. Okay, that's a huge answer to all those questions we looked at earlier. Why is it that if God is so loving and God is so powerful, our world looks like it does right now? He says an enemy has done this. Now, he has established his kingdom to upset the domain of the enemy, and that enemy is really, really angry at that, but the enemy is still active. He's active in the world. He's active in the church. He sows Weed seeds right upon the field of God, which God is at work moving and transforming lives. And there's weed seeds infiltrated everywhere. Okay? An enemy has done this. Here's Jesus' words. We read it once. Let's read them again. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. Jesus identified the enemy as the devil in his answer. Right? We had that series to talk about that earlier. So that is the reason why. And by the way, when people say, I hate the church, it's so filled with hypocrites, you should say this, I know. Jesus predicted it would be that way. It's always going to be that way until the end. He said so. It's filled with weeds. But the good news is, and here's the church trying to get rid of all the hypocrites. Jesus said, don't. Don't do it. Point number three, removing counterfeits can damage the harvest. That's what he said. Shouldn't we be taking out all the weeds to protect and keep our garden pure and bring glory to God? He said, no, 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 no. It'd be one thing to talk about removing weed seeds of sin in your life, which he talked about in a previous parable. That's not what he's talking about here. We should always be removing the weed seeds of sin in our life. The enemy tries to do that. We should be helping each other with that, okay? Certainly, in every setting, trying to help each other with that, to remove the weed seeds. He's not talking about the weed seeds of sin. He's talking about counterfeit wheat right in the middle of the field. The word for weeds in this translation, in King James is translated tares. The word is zizania, and the scholars say zizania is actually a type of a weed. It's the beaded... Beaded, bearded darnel plant. Now, a darnel plant looks, if you put seeds right on the wheat field of darnel, the, the darnel grows up right next to wheat, and you cannot tell them apart. Okay? 
They look exactly the same until they keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. And then as soon as wheat starts to produce the fruit, wheat, heads of wheat on the plant, you can tell that's wheat. Darnell's seeds look different. But in the early stages, you cannot tell Darnell from wheat. Now, here's the difference. Wheat is nutritious. Wheat is healthy. Wheat is not genetically modified. Anyway, wheat, <laughs> back then, all right? A uh, little, never mind. Um, Darnell, on the other hand, is noxious. It's poisonous. It can literally kill creatures who eat enough of it, okay? Very dangerous. And it's interesting, even the rabbis used to call Darnell illegitimate wheat. And so when Jesus says, these are the children of the devil, it's illegitimate wheat. Whereas wheat is the children of God. Very interesting. Now, what Jesus is then saying is, if you try to uproot the Darnell, you aren't equipped to do it. You can't tell the difference between wheat and Darnell. Leave it alone until harvest. At that point, now we aren't be destroying the wheat because it's done what it's supposed to do. The fruit has, is ready. You just uproot everything, separate it out, use the harvest for the good, the wheat, and destroy the Darnell then. That's not our jobs now. It's our temptation, but it's not our jobs. As a church, it's our temptation to fix the world, change its laws, change everything, and uproot all the things that are wrong, all the things that cause sin. It's our job to clean everything up. And Jesus said, good luck. It'll never happen. There will always be weeds until the harvest. And okay, how about the church? It's our job to make sure that we protect the church from all the false. We aren't equipped to look into, to even discern who's wheat and who's weeds. We don't have the equipment to look into the heart to even tell. Besides, his business of this harvest is so cool. Until the harvest date, because of what Jesus has done on the cross by his sacrifice, taking on the sins of the world, and because as he did by the resurrection from the dead, giving life to the deadness of who we were before, he can transform weeds to wheat. Bang! Woo! They used to be weeds, and now they are wheat. He can do a miracle with the people that were opposed to God, angry at God, hateful, or thought they were Christians and totally wrong about their own way and approach and everything. He can fix all that through Jesus. And we have time between now and the harvest to see a transfer from the kingdom of darkness as a weed into the reality of the kingdom of God as wheat. So he says, don't rip them up. Why? Their roots are intertwined. Don't look at your neighbor. We are intertwined here. There are some here who do not yet know for sure if they're wheat, legitimately in the kingdom and going to live forever with God because they're his, not sure yet. Or they think they know and they're not. And we don't know that. God does. If we're ripping out people because obviously you're not wheat, look at your lifestyle. No fruit there, right? And if we do the temptation as a church leader thing, rip them out, everybody around them who says, if you rip them out for that, you're going to rip me out for this. I'm not going to be there. The whole harvest gets damaged by that effort to judge and rip people out and clean up in neat and tidy rows. Everybody looks like us. Us four, no more. Right? 
We're going to finish today with a different statement of Jesus to wrap it all together to talk about the moral of the story. Before we go there, what this parable does for me is it says, warning, warning, make sure you approach the kingdom more like the way Jesus does and less like the way Pharisees do. Warning, warning, don't be judging and condemning and pulling people out and saying, you're good and you're not good. Love. Now, there is a time to confront false teaching. There is a time to, as the scripture tells us, you're a false teacher, you are saying this, and you're damaging the church, I need to, I need to remove you. There is a time for that, okay? There is a time to address behavior. I am not equipped, equipped to address motive. I can't see in, all right? But this is not talking about addressing behavior. It's not talking about addressing motive. It's talking about trying to rip people out because they're off, according to our categories, like Pharisees would do, cutting them out, making everything neat and tidy. He says, it's not going to be like that. Here's what Jesus said. On the night he was crucified, he said a whole lot, but he finished with some statements like this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Everything looks confusing. Everything looks messy. It doesn't look like it's coming together the way you expect. In fact, they're about to see him crucified. I'm telling you this in advance so that you will experience peace. The whole world's going to come against us, but you can experience peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, we will always have deep weeds. You maybe have found yourself there in a relationship. You may be overwhelmed by what you're going through. You're in deep weeds. This is no surprise to God. We have a big God. Take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. We're going to finish today with a prayer that I scripted out for us. I want you to read it first and see if this is a prayer you'd like to pray. Here's how it goes. Before we pray this together, just to simplify, you have your little world. You look at your world like a king looks at his kingdom. This is my kingdom. This is my life. This is my domain. These are my choices. I want to rule my own life. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Say, not my will, not my kingdom, but your will, your kingdom, you reign. You choose. You become Lord. In a sense, this is what this prayer says. A lot of us have already said that before. Let's realign ourselves under the king. If you've never said this and you kind of want the king to bring order and pull out stuff in your life and help you take steps toward him, this is a prayer that might start that. Let's stand together if you're willing to pray it out loud. Let's pray it out loud together. My dear Lord Jesus, you reign above all rule and authority power and dominion, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I want to step out of the rebellion and into your kingdom. Thank you for your sacrifice and victory over sin and death, making it possible for me to be in your kingdom. I surrender my kingdom to you. Reign in me. I want my life to have a harvest that comes from you, a harvest of love, joy, and peace. 
Thank you for giving me your spirit to help me to love like you loved and forgive like you forgave. All in Jesus' powerful name, amen. In their prayer, I, I listed off the first three pieces or fruit of the spirit that Galatians talks about, love, joy, and peace. The rest of the list goes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A few weeks ago, I was slapped by the translation that's updated. And most updated translation sounds more modern, but this update sounded less modern because it said love, joy, peace. Instead of patience, it said forbearance. I'm thinking, forbearance? You're going backwards in your translation. Forbearance is a good translation of the word. It's an old word that we're not used to hearing. It means not just wait on God, patience, but have the kind of patience with weeds where you're forbear. You're not trying to rip them up. You love them anyway. You're not trying to judge them. You love them even though they're hard to love. Forbear. God will take care of the mess. We need to love like Jesus loved. That's what we're about. And I hope we'll step into understanding that God is doing a work in the middle of a mess and grace is messy.